My first pre-baptismal conversation as a new pastor didn't go so well. I scared the family off completely. I was newly ordained and I'd been serving in my first parish for about six months when a young man asked to speak with me about having his uh, year-old son baptized. This is exciting stuff for a new pastor. You've been taking classes to prepare for this task for years. I had entire courses just on the history of baptismal theology and practice. And now here's somebody who actually wants you to be part of his child's baptism, to stand there at the font and speak these ancient words and declare God's promise for this small person. I was thrilled to be asked. So a few days later, later I met him at his apartment. So how does this work? He asked. And I launched in. While his son played with some blocks on the other side of the room, I eagerly explained to him what a big deal this all was. How it's this day of enormous promises, promises from him as a parent, from his son's sponsors, from the congregation, from God. How you cannot overstate the significance of what happens at the font, where God claims this child as God's own beloved. How a great deal is going to be asked from him as the parent of a baptized child, and how a great deal will be asked of his son as a Christian. How there is no telling where the path that begins at the font might lead. It's beautiful, it's exhilarating, it's mysterious, it's terrifying. All this baptismal theology that I had soaked up in seminary just sort of came bubbling out at this young, poor father. Eddie sat there with this rather dazed look on his face and finally said, huh, <laughs> well, I'll have to think about that for a little bit. The meeting was pretty much over at that point, and when I hadn't heard from the father in a couple of weeks, I gave him a call to check in. Yeah, I've decided to wait on the whole baptism thing for now, he told me. Maybe some other time. This is not exactly what I was hoping for as a brand new young pastor. You're supposed to accompany your parishioners, not frighten them off. There's certainly lots I could have done differently in this situation. I could have listened more and talked less. I could have offered sort of a few spoonfuls of guidance rather than blasting him with a theological fire hose. But I do still stand by the basic premise of what I said that day. Baptism is a big deal, and it's not something to be entered into lightly. Baptism is everywhere in our worship service today, in our readings, in our prayers, in our songs. It's a day for recalling the gift of baptism, what it means, what it does in our lives, what it calls us to. But the central image today isn't really our baptism, but the baptism of Jesus. He's the one in the water today. He's the one being addressed by God with words of grace and promise. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The season of Epiphany always begins this way each year. It's a season for recalling the unfolding of Jesus's identity and mission, for looking to the fullness of who he is. And we always start here at the water. There's good reason for that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all begin the story of Jesus's public ministry with his baptism by John. Here, before he gets to teaching, 
or healing or feeding or getting into scuffles with the authorities, Jesus is anointed with the Spirit and declared God's beloved. This great chapter of his life that our Gospels follow for basically their whole length begins at his baptism. Jesus is the one in the water today. And that leaves us then with the question, what does his baptism have to do with ours? What does his brush with the Spirit in the water teach us about our own? We have to be a little bit careful here because Jesus is not being baptized a Christian the way somebody would be here at our font in the sanctuary. Very early on in the church's life, baptism became an entry into the Christian faith, sort of the first step in a lifetime of following Jesus. But that is certainly not what John was offering down at the riverside 2,000 years ago. Samuel Torvin says this well. John was baptizing Palestinian Jews not as a form of initiation into Judaism, but as a means of marking people who looked with hope for the coming of God in the midst of much economic, social, and political disarray. The crowds coming out to see John were, by and large, Jewish already. They weren't showing up to join a new religion, but to band together as people of a new vision, as people expecting the coming of God's kingdom in their particular time and place. So here's how we might picture that scene down by the water. A wild preacher standing in the river and gathered around to listen, crowds of people gripped by his message. This message of hope. Rome may look like the ultimate authority, said John, but one who is more powerful is coming. The emperor might call himself the savior of the world, but the true savior is on the way. To wade into the water and to be baptized by John was to say, yes, I am hoping for that too. I want to be part of that vision. I share in your longing. That's how we should picture that scene. And then one day, out of that crowd of hopeful people steps a young man from Nazareth who says, me too. I share in your hope. I share in your vision. I share in your longing. He walks out to John and down goes Jesus into the water. It's a profound act of solidarity that Jesus undertakes here. In joining the crowds being baptized by John, he aligns himself with their longings for a new future of justice and joy. He says, I'm here beside you. I'm one of you. And he doesn't just say it. He allows himself to be immersed in the people's hopes and struggles. He goes down into the Jordan River, the very river where Jews in Jesus' time would annually commemorate their deliverance from captivity in Egypt and the freedom into which God brought them. He lets those waters run all over him, just as they ran over his neighbors who longed for the fullness of God's deliverance then and there. He comes up dripping wet and marked with the hope shared by all those gathered around him, young and old, rich and poor. That's how I see Jesus' baptism right now, as his full immersion into the life of his people, joys and struggles and all. He didn't remain aloof and distant like some kind of otherworldly wise sage. No, he joined the people around them in all they were experiencing, 
That's the kind of prophet and teacher and healer that he was. And when we remember that we're not just talking about Jesus of Nazareth here, but Jesus, the Son of God, well, then we're reminded of the commitment that God has to this world and to its people. God comes to this world and undergoes a full immersion in our life, not remaining up in the heavens or high and dry on the riverbank, but diving right down into the waters of all that we know, hunger and satisfaction, companionship and loneliness, joy and disappointment, life and death. That's how committed God is to this world. That's the kind of God we have. And here's where I think Jesus' baptism can then help us better understand our own. His dive into the waters put him in solidarity with a hurting world. And ours does the same. Rowan Williams says this, that being baptized is being brought where Jesus is. And so if he's in the middle of the struggles and hopes of those around him, then that's where we should be as well. If he is fully immersed in this messy world, then full immersion is for us too. We shouldn't expect our lives as Christians to be easy or smooth or distant from the struggles of those who are suffering. We should expect to find ourselves in the fray, in the complexity, in the deep end of the pool. The good news is that we are also immersed in something else besides. The baptized person is not only in the middle of human suffering and muddle, says Williams, but in the middle of the love and delight of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That surely is one of the most extraordinary mysteries of being Christian. You see that, right? Jesus comes up from the water and he finds himself enveloped in the love of God, the Spirit descending like a dove, the words of grace running over him like water. Our baptism is like that too. We find the assurance of God's presence here, the promise that come what may, we are never alone. We are held in the love and delight of God. We are fully immersed in that gracious relationship, not just for one moment, but for a lifetime, for all time. Baptism is a big deal, and it shouldn't be entered into lightly. I still stand by that. It's being brought where Jesus is, into the realities of this world, into its hurts and its hopes and its struggles. That's a difficult and unpredictable place to be. You never know where that path will lead. It is a big deal, and it is also at just the same time the greatest of gifts, an immersion in grace deeper and wider and more magnificent than we can imagine. I don't know what this new year holds for our lives as individuals, for our congregation, for our world. We are still in the middle of a whole lot of unknowns these days. But we can dive into this season with Jesus, immersed not only in the challenges of life, but also in the love and delight of God. That is our calling, friends. Let's wade in the water together. Thanks be to God. Amen.